Welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast uh, with me, Ian Cheeseman, and thanks very much for sharing and subscribing. It's free to subscribe, so subscribe. And thanks very much to Howard Solicitors, who are based in Ashton and Stockport. They specialise in things like personal injury claims on a no-win, no-fee basis. Not like one of those nameless ones, though. This is a proper company that I deal with, so... If you want to go to them and get some advice, give them a call and mention my name and I'm sure that'll help to grease the wheels. So if you've had an accident, it's not your fault, give them a shout. They do loads of other things as well. Um, have a look at the website, howardsolicitors.com. Give them a call, 0161 872 or email law at howardsolicitors.com. Now, we're recording this podcast after the Manchester Derby, quite quickly, actually, after the Manchester Derby on the Saturday evening UK time as opposed to the normal time we do it on a Sunday. And I thought it'd be nice to get, you know, immediate reaction from people. Um, it, obviously, I would point you towards the match day vlog that I do on YouTube if you haven't had a chance to have a look at that yet, because it gives people's views before and after. Interesting, uh, immediate post-match reaction. But now we're going to add to that, really, by talking about it in a lot more depth on the audio podcast. My guests today are... Ian, or Bob Brightwell, who, of course, played for City, scored that famous goal, that famous screamer at Old Trafford. So he knows what it's like to go there and play in that atmosphere. We've got um, fan Toby. And just to confuse you even more, we'll have another fan called Tony. So we've got Toby, Tony, Ian and Ian. So um, anyway, let's get on with it. And let's, let's not worry about all that stuff. Let's start with the, the expert in the room, which is Ian. Um, who's played there? Who's a former city player? You are an expert here. Don't be, don't be modest. Which um, Ian are you talking about? Sorry, I... <laughs> yeah, not me. Trust me, not me. Um, so uh, obviously, the big talking point after the game has been the equalising goal that Manchester United scored. I say scored because obviously it was given, but there are a lot of people who I've already seen on social media in and around the ground, and I suspect here questioning whether that goal should have stood. So let's see what you've got to say, Mr. Brightwell. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm actually disgusted in the in the way it was handled because, I mean, we've all seen it on the TV, that the ball was put through and Rashford was clearly, you know, at least a yard, a full yard offside. He knew that. He carried on running. And then for me, forget about... Uh, Bruno, forget about him for the time being. But the defenders and the goalkeepers, they're not 100% sure whether the, he's, he's offside. So they've got to make a, a decision and a reaction to what is happening and where the ball has been played. That ball was clearly passed through to, to Rashford. He was on his bike. He was away. So the, like I say, the keeper, the, 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 the two defenders in and around chasing back. So they're taking up positions trying to uh, deal with the, what's happening. Then, of course, uh, Bruno comes in at, at, at last minute. He's obviously shouted, you know, leave it, don't touch the ball. Um, and he's gone and finished the ball, uh, finished it for the goal. So how it can be a, a goal and Rashford hasn't interfered with play, I do not know. You know, it, it's beyond belief for me because uh, it, uh, I keep saying it's... They, they've made... The defenders and goalkeeper have made their decisions on what is happening in front of them. Um, and it, it, it's a farce, really. It, it really is. And like I say, I'm, I'm disgusted in the decision because whoever's made that decision, I don't know if it was bleeped through on the radio or the, um, or, 
or, or, or the ref made that decision on the spot. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but again, it goes, they complicate the offside rule. It should go back to the old offside rule. If you're offside in an offside position, when the ball is played, you're offside. And that clears up any arguments. So, yeah, for me, really not happy. And that's what's cost us a game. I can understand why you've said what you've said um, about the referee and whether he's made the decision. But we know that VAR will object it. Mm -hmm. So as I'm stood in the away end and us around us are all talking about it and people are saying, well, it's obviously offside and the game stops. I'm saying, well, VAR is going to check it. I've said many times that I'm not a fan of VAR. I don't like VAR. I wouldn't have VAR mm -hmm. in the game if it was up to me. And it's took away a lot of that instant reaction. So I turn into people while they're getting all emotional and saying, listen, don't worry about it. It did look offside. VAR will check it and the right decision will be made. And then suddenly the goal's given. So VAR says it was onside. So you're an ex-player, Ian. You work in the game. You work at City on a match day. You know, like me, you, you absolutely live and breathe football. Yeah. Have the rules changed? You know, no, has no. the actual rule of in the, this so-called interfering with play, does that no longer apply? Well, I'm going to, I've, I've got something here on my phone that I, I, I screenshotted, so forgive me that I'm looking at the uh, my screen here. It says, and it's talking about the offside rule. However, a player can also influence play without touching the ball. And so should be given offside if the referee feels that their offside position has interfered with an opponent. For example, these are a couple of examples, by preventing the opponent from playing the ball or by obstructing a goalkeeper's line of vision. Now, obviously, those two examples there, they're not applicable to this, but it says these are just two examples that they've, they've put on. But he was interfering with play. I'm talking about Rashford now because the defenders and the goalkeeper they've made their defensive judgments and their defensive um, positions based on the fact that he was going through on goal and he was a likely goal scorer even though he was in an offside position which our defenders did not know so so therefore if they'd have made a decision knowing that Rashford was offside, i.e. the linesman puts his flag up straight away, Rashford's offside, that, that's the end. That, number one, that's the end of it. Number two, if, if they didn't think um, Bruno was, was, was in a... Oh, sorry, if they thought Bruno was in an onside position, they would have made the way across there because they would have just forgot all about Rashford because he was in an offside position. But it doesn't work because it happens so quickly. So therefore, like for me, it's a... Uh, Rashford is clearly interfering with play. He is clearly interfering with play because the pass was actually made to Rashford. That, that pass was not made um, to the goal scorer. It was uh, just happened, you know, co coincidental that Rashford uh, had a shout from him, and uh, obviously went and finished the uh, finished for the goal. So again, for me, that is a clear black and white situation. The fella. In the offside position, Rashford, he was interfering with play in my eyes. Now, there was an incident in a different match, a Liverpool game, not too long ago, when Salah to, was stood clearly in an offside position and he forced 
the opposition defender to stretch up in the air. Mm-hmm. He didn't connect it with it as he wanted, and the ball ran through to Salah, who scored. Now, I argued when that was given that that was interfering with play because the defender had had to stretch up because he knew Salah was behind him yeah. and probably would have just ducked under it and left it to the goalkeeper had Salah not been behind him. So whilst two wrongs don't make a right, does that mean that the officials have made this decision that it doesn't matter what you're doing, where you are, as long as you didn't touch the ball or didn't directly interfere, that therefore the goal or the action, the, the play has to stand. This is where, where I'm so confused. Well, it is, it, it, it's so confusing, isn't it, Cheesy? But you, you, uh, you're right. But then I go back to uh, this. Um, within the rules here, it, it, it said, you know, it says um, about, for, for example, players preventing the opponent from, the, from playing the ball or obstructing the goalkeeper's line of vision. Or if defenders have to make decisions Based on what they see in that in, in that instance, and for me, that that's a clear in, interference of, of influencing um, the goal. Even though Rashford is in a, in an offside position, because it, it just I say it's it second or fractions of seconds that these uh, these guys have to make their defending decision, and it should have just been a, a flag offside. Okay, he didn't touch the ball, but. <laughs> I keep saying it. He was interfering or he interfered with play. Well, me and you are confused. That's clear. <laughs> In the same way, I think. So let's uh, let's get two more perspectives. Let's start with Toby, who I know is raring to go on this. So um, what's your view on this, Toby? Just everything everything Ian said there. Plus, uh, you know, he put it pretty much bang on. Um, you know, he's, we don't, we don't, you know, going back to your your point, Ian, about the um about the Salah goal. You know, we don't we don't the referee shouldn't make decisions based on other decisions. They should make decisions based on the rules and based on what what is written in the rule book and what we um, apply by every time we kick off a game and, and throughout the thirty eight game season. Um, the rules of of how we in, and how we interpret them and how you know what Ian said from the rule book that that show that's to me as i say is very confusing just like as i'm, I'm just as confused as you two are it, it's it's crazy to me and as ian says it, the pool has been played through to rashford um he's clearly you know if he'd left it and bruno run onto it and scored um then it wouldn't of course then it's not there's no question is there but the thing is if he had left it if he'd not run at all he wouldn't have scored because akanji and ake and edison would have had the opportunity to defend that situation differently um which means that rashford is therefore interfering with the play um in terms of the actual how it will happen my understanding of it and i might be wrong but how i've watched it and how i watched it live when i was there and how i've watched it in replays is that the on-field decision was offside the the, the, they scored the, the the linesman put his flag up and i saw no evidence of any var looking at it at all from an, an offside, a simple offside is drawing the lines and telling the referee. But that was not a simple offside. That was a judgment. That 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 whole thing was a judgment call that had to be made. So, if it was to be, it was it was obviously overturned. So why why didn't the referee go and look at the monitor? Because in every other decision and in every other sort of scenario, I'm thinking the referee to overturn that sort of decision, if, if there is any doubt, 
should go and look at the monitor. All I saw the evidence was, was he went and talked to the linesman and then overturned, blew his whistle and overturned it. I saw no VAR evidence um, there. And you make, you make a very good point. Let me, just before you carry on, because yeah. I'm not meaning to stop you. Yeah, uh, you and I were in the stadium. I'm assuming, mm. Bob, you were uh, watching it on TV, were you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what about Tony? Tony, were you, you were what, would have been watching it on TV, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah I watched so it on let, TV. Let, let me ask this question to you then, Tony, because we haven't heard from you yet. Toby's made a very good point there about there appearing to be no reference to VAR. Now, Old Trafford, for people who don't know this, because not everybody's been to Old Trafford, and you might find this amazing, I certainly do, uh, Old Trafford and Anfield don't have big screens, right? So for big clubs like that, they don't have screens. So people in the stadiums would never get to see that sign that comes up and says VAR are looking at this, and then maybe a still picture of what the decision was. You watched it on TV, Tony. Did they, at any point in the commentary, say VAR are now looking at this? And did you ever see a graphic that showed, you know, lines and stuff? No, they, 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 they didn't show any lines. Um, I suppose there wouldn't have been any lines in a way, but yeah, yeah. certainly was, did, was there evidence that VAR was looking at it? Well, no, because it seemed, um, obviously, uh, from a game situation, watching it live, uh, obviously, on the TV sort of thing, um, it, it, it seemed to happen very quickly. And I must admit, um, I thought it was I thought it was a goal in you know in real time, if if you know what I mean from that point of view. It was only when um that that the referee, as, as uh, Toby said then, went over to the linesman, and then it all seemed to go a little bit uh, Pete Tong then because there was then that reference um to interference, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so it, it was it was very confusing to be honest, and it I think it was more so um, a little bit after where it, it made reference to the fact that as long as the player, um, although he's been in an offside position, then in the kind of second phase, which that's why I thought it was, and that's why the linesman put his flag up because in the first phase, obviously he's offside. The referee seems to let that flow. Until 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 it finishes, and then obviously what's happened then is it's resulted in a goal. But there seemed to be a little bit of confusion in in um, in some of the players who kind of thought, from City point of view, who thought he was offside. So there was that slight um, kind of delay in some cases. It was just very confusing, and I think that that rule that I um, am referring to now, I, I wasn't aware of that rule where if you're not interfering um, and you then don't touch the ball uh, at, at that point, then basically the goal stands. And, and it just seemed to be that it was something that, uh, new in, in that sense, although that, that particular um, reference and that law was actually only passed at the beginning of, beginning of the season from what I'm led to believe. So we don't think VAR was involved? No, no, I no, think... no, no. I, I, don't, I, don't seem, I didn't seem to be that that was the case, no. And I'm, I don't know if it was Brian Clough, somebody like Brian Clough once said, if you're not interfering with play, you shouldn't be on the pitch. I'm sure yeah, it, was, it, was, it was Brian. Yeah. You know, and come on, you know, anybody with half of a brain can see that Rashford was interfering with play, just yeah. as in that example of the Liverpool game, Salah was interfering. He was being, you know, he was causing a distraction. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. surely the goal on that basis, should have been ruled out unless 
you know, the, the rule really is different. But I stopped Toby in full flow, so I didn't mean to do that, Toby. I just wanted to clear that point up. That's so okay. let's we might circle back to that in a bit. But Toby, mm -hmm. if you've got anything else at this point you want to throw in, now's your moment. Well, I mean, uh, other than the other than the, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to um to move the subject on. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you'll you'll do that in a second, Ian. But yeah, other than that, as I say, it was just so frustrating that inside the state you know th th this is what var is brought in for is that you know these mistakes and these little um errors that referees make because it does happen it's such a quick game now um that's what var was brought in for whether you like it or whether you don't that's what it was brought in for to correctly so so clear and obvious clear and obvious and and what i've seen at old trafford and anfield before is although they don't have a big screen they have the little scoreboard and the var does come up on there i've seen it happen before i've seen it at anfield and i've seen it both at old trafford as well is it does come up with var and there was nothing that came up and i was watching the whole the whole thing i was with my, with my friend and we, i said to him did it come up and I, I said i don't think it came up and he said no I, it didn't come up so Nothing it makes not, it even more bizarre, doesn't it? Which, well, I sit there and I go, well, well, what has made them in that moment overturn the goal with therefore with with, with what appears to be no no video evidence? We've got VAR. Why aren't we using it? Because for me, he was clearly intervening with play. He, I, I, I just can't see. Him. I can't look at that and go, he wasn't. If he if he'd stopped running even halfway through, it might have, you might be able to then argue. Just but he went all the way. He stood right next to Bruno as he as he did the, as he took the shot. The last thing I'd want to do, right, is is now suggest, having said I don't think that goal should have stood, oh, uh, to suggest it should. But presumably the referee went to the lines person, the assistant referee, mm. and said, did he touch it? Presumably that must well, have been yeah, the, well, the conversation. We, and we the linesman's gone, that. no, he didn't touch it, and so he's mm. given the goal. That, that can be the only conclusion I can come to. But, Tony, um, we've heard from, from Toby, we've heard from, from Brighty. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's the only decision um, that that has been reached that I can real uh, that I can see has happened there because rightly said that he went over to the linesman um, and the linesman did seem to say something to him and then the next minute obviously the you know the goal was given but to to the dismay of everybody from a blue shirt point of view as to as to why that was given so now I know that um, you you generally can remonstrate. Um, any goal that's that's given, but there really did seem that confusion as to why it was given, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of the players learn of that uh, rule, as it were. Uh, even though I know, obviously, they, they they should know that that something like that um, it, it it probably happens once once in a blue moon, so to speak. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting one. Let, let's let's now look at the bigger picture. Uh, I mean, I suppose we could probably all agree that if that goal hadn't gone in, which changed the momentum, changed the crowd atmosphere, maybe United wouldn't have got a second. So that is obviously going to be the, the pivotal point of the whole game. Up till that point, um, City had been drawing nil-nil. Obviously, this, we'll come back to the Southampton game in a bit because that's a subject I want to talk about. Um, but having been nil-nil, I thought City got stronger. I thought when the goal came, um, it felt like it was coming. Yeah, I think I think City were on top, and and I felt instinctively that City were going to take the lead. And actually, I expected them to maybe get another one after that, um, even though 
I would still probably argue that City weren't playing as well as we've seen them in the past, particularly at Old Trafford in the last two or three years. Were you, let's start with him, were you just just talking about this game and in, not forget Southampton just for a minute because that was a slightly different team. Did that feel like City were back to their best? Were you were you happy with everything up to the point of that equaliser? Well, I think um, United clearly came out with a, a game plan and it was to uh, stop City playing, stop, um, stop them playing higher up the field. Um, Fred was man-marking Kevin De Bruyne. Um, but I did feel, so the first half for me, you know, it's, it's pretty even. There weren't a great deal of chances either way, but you could see that United were trying to stop us from playing. So that was their, their game plan. But I always felt that the longer the game went on, they wouldn't be able to keep that intensity up, United wouldn't. And, and they didn't because we came out second half and five, ten minutes into that second half, we started passing the, the ball around. Gaps were opening up, especially in the midfield areas. Um, and we looked like we were causing problems. And, and we did. You know, it was a great little bit of play. Um, again, um, I, I watched it on the TV. I don't know if, uh, if Tony saw the half-time comments, but it was uh, Paul Scholes who was saying, you know, uh, at the moment, De Bruyne is getting uh, suppressed. He said, but he will get a chance. You know, somewhere along the line, he will get a chance. And he did. And it was a great ball there into Grealish. And it was a, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a great finish. Great ball because he just thinks it up. Um, you know, old, old school style because he tend to just drill it across the, the face of the goal now, don't they? Or cut it back. But it was a little dink. And it was a simple header for Jack, uh, Jack Grealish, who I'm really pleased for. And uh, then after that, we looked really in control of it still. Uh, up until they scored, which came out of the blue, and I thought we were going to get a second, you know, kill the game off, and, and that was it. I, you know, I even thought, you know, 1-0, you know, we looked so so much in control, you know, they, they, they didn't even look like scoring. And then that happened, like you've just said, cheesy, that lifted the crowd. Uh, you know, you've got 70-odd thousand red screaming at you. And uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get anything back, even though we, we tried to uh, try to get back in it. They were up for it then. But I noticed the reaction. Rashford got taken off. I noticed the reaction after from the from the United players, you know, on the bench and that. It was like they'd won the, the cup final, like they won the Champions League. You know, they they were really buzzing because they knew, I think, one, what a great result for, for them it was. And... Number two, I don't think they could believe they'd actually won it. You know, just their reaction from from the players and just the way they were dancing around. You know, the, the subs couldn't wait, or the guys that had been taken off on their side, they couldn't wait to get on the the pitch and start running around and congratulating. And that really, I, I suppose, that's a compliment from our point of view um, that they feel like that. Uh, it doesn't make it make it any better for us because um, I did think we. We were the better side. Overall, we were the better side and we should have won the game. I suppose that you having said that takes me back to that day when you scored that rocket and thinking that day we got a draw and it felt like we'd won the European Cup. Um, and now the shoe, as you say, is on the other foot. We are yeah. now the top dogs and them getting any sort of results, um, squeaking home in that 2-1 victory. Uh, was was an amazing result for it. But the fact is, they're now only a point behind City. Um, we're not quite at halfway yet. So again, you have to try to get it into context. But 
my son is, and I, I'm, I'm a big believer in this myself. Um, I haven't got the statistics in front of me, right? So you have to forgive me for this. But let's say you looked at it now, and after, let's say we've played 17. And if somebody's listening to things, what are they talking about? We've played 18. This isn't meant to be the definitive answer, but you'll get the principle. Let's say we've played 18 games or 17 games now. And then what you do is you look at the first 17 games of last season and you go, how many points did we have? I don't think that's a straight, that, that's a fair comparison. What you do is you look at as much as you can. I know there's three go up, three go down. But basically you say, how did we go on against Brentford at home? How did we go on against Everton at home? How did we go on against Aston Villa away? And all this sort of thing. Well, we won at United last year and we lost today. We beat Brentford last year. We lost to Brentford. We won at Aston Villa last year. We drew with Brent, uh, Aston Villa this year. So actually, if you look on match to match, we're actually quite a bit down. Uh, now, uh, clearly there are two games against Spurs coming up, two of the next three. We win both of those games. That gets you two wins back because we lost home and away to Spurs. So right now, I'm a little bit concerned that City match for match are in actually a slightly even worse position than it looks because those were the games we won last year. That's my point. Um, you, you may or may not agree with it, but I just thought I'd throw that into the mix. Now, another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Toby and I were down at Southampton uh, in midweek and um, City put, or Pep put out basically his second string, you'd have to say. Was it eight changes for the derby? Something like that anyway. Um, and as, as we walked away from that game disappointed, not just you and I, Toby, because I know I spoke to you after the game, but other people were saying, it's more important we go to Old Trafford and get the win. And as I'm driving home the following day, I'm thinking, yeah, people will quickly forget that Southampton defeat if we win at Old Trafford. Well, we haven't. We've lost at Old Trafford. Do you look back now, Toby, because you were down there at Southampton, and feel slightly different about that defeat at Southampton? Or was Pep right to do what he did? Because in theory, he had eight fresh players on the pitch today, um, albeit that we've discussed that it may have been, you know, a misjustice in terms of the, the, the equaliser and ultimately the defeat. But the fact is, they still lost. So it was a gamble, wasn't it, to almost throw away that Southampton game? You're going to be harsh. Well, I mean, we 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 know the the depth of the squad, and we know, you know, that this is why we have such a deep squad, and why we, that you know, that uh, the, the guys in the in the in the in the back offices they they work on on bringing in the squad depth, um, so we can have that that so we can rotate the team and um, for games like that. Um, I mean, I spoke to you at half time, and, and we, we had a chat at half time, and you know, you know, you said if we, we were two 0 down and we were looking pretty pretty rubbish, um, that if if to make dropping the key players worth it, we'd have to win on Saturday. Um, so, yes and no. I, I sort of sit on the fence a bit with this one um, because I want to see some. I, I want to see that the, the squad being rotated. Or I want to see our players rested for the big games because at the end of the day, it was worth it to 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 hold our players for the for the to to, to preserve our our key players for the game today. Um, because, uh, you know, 
we talk about the performance we weren't actually you know we, we had a pretty controlled performance today as as ian said earlier you know we, we I, I think we ultimately deserved to win that game um i think we were we were pretty we were probably pretty mugged out of it i think there was also a a, pen, a big penalty shout when when Cancelo was pushed over and i could keep i could keep going on about the <clears throat> about the decisions but i'm not going to but um i i i, I honestly I, I i sort of i'm yes and no because Although the Southampton defeat was very frustrating and it sort of leaves us in a position now where we are, what, we're five points adrift of Arsenal um, and they've got a game in hand. So if they beat Tottenham tomorrow, they're eight points ahead and we've still got to play them twice. We've still got to play Tottenham twice. We've still got to play Liverpool at home. So we've got some tough games. So I'd argue that if we lose one or two more games, especially against Arsenal, we are completely and utterly out of the title race. I think we might be out of it now. So Can I just stop? Yeah, the, yeah. Liverpool at home, why is that a difficult one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can debate that. We can debate that one all we want, but you never know. They probably turned it around by that point. You know our luck. But where it's leaving us now is we've 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 rested our players on, on Wednesday for this game on Sunday. Uh, sorry, on Saturday. We are now out of a tournament. From Wednesday, we're now out of that's that that's 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 alleviated the possibility of winning the the Carabao Cup. We've potentially shot ourselves in the foot with the with the Premier League. We might not be able to win that. So now we've got a, an FA Cup tie against Arsenal and the Champions League. So is this going to be one of these seasons that we end up with nothing because we've sort of shot ourselves in the foot with the with the team selection? That's that's my concern with with it all anyway. Ian, I mean, uh, City not winning anything—that's unthinkable, isn't it? Is that not an overreaction from Toby? Uh, I think we're just used to them winning winning trophies now, aren't we? We don't know really how lucky we are. Such a great, great side. I, I think we will win something this year. Um, I think we'll win the Champions League. I, I, I really do. And I think, I don't know him, but I know that's what, what Pep wants and what the owners wants. I really think that's what he's focusing on on this year. Okay, it'd been great to go um, get a result at uh, down at Southampton and go in the Caribou Cup, but he, in in previous season Pep hasn't made so many changes than he made in that particular game. So maybe he is really thinking that you know he wants to win this Champions League and that is his ultimate goal. Yes, Premier League is massively important. FA Cup is as well for me. I think FA Cups are you know the domestic trophy. You know. Certainly, the most uh, prestigious domestic trophy um, cup competition. Sorry, um, love the Premier League, but for Pep to be regarded as you know one of the best, he knows that he's got to win the Champions League with with City, and I do believe that he's got the squad to do that. He's got the players to do that. Uh, I think Haaland. A lot of, I hear a lot of people say, and I was speaking to an Everton supporter the other day, he was talking about the game at, uh, when we played in the other week, and he said, well, Ireland does, does nothing. I said, well, you know, he scored more goals himself than your team has all, all season. I said, well, he doesn't actually do anything. Said, he does. He, he scores goals. You could argue today he didn't do um, a great deal, but he always offers that goal-scoring chance, and he's something different. Um, and there isn't many games when he doesn't contribute. Uh, Toby mentioned about pe the penalty with Cancelo, which that, that was debatable. That could have gone either way. But there was one with uh, Haaland as well. Uh, coming down, he was just about to shoot. 
on his downswing, he was clipped from the from from behind, and you know it didn't go to VAR, it didn't go to you know the ref just like wave play on. So it's those little decisions. Uh, but for me, I don't think we're out of any competition that we're in at the moment. I don't think we're out of it. But I really believe that Pep, this is the Champions League year that he wants to win it. So I'm going to pick you up on two of the things you've talked about, though. We'll come back to Haaland in a minute. I do not disagree with you at all that Pep and Manchester City have absolutely everything focused on winning the Champions League. And if they had to make decisions that would make that work, then they will. However, you know better than I do, Ian, having played the game, that it's not as simple as that, is it? You don't just go, right, we want to win that, so we're going to put all our efforts into that. Because City, that's exactly what City did at Southampton. We want to win the game at Old Trafford, so we'll not put all our efforts into this one. That didn't work out very well, did it? You know, And the danger is that if you put all your eggs in one basket and think... It, the target for this football club now is to win the Champions League. The, 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 the ambition of Pep is to finish his time at City, whenever that is, with a Champions League trophy. The, the ambition of the owners is to take City to the next level and be European champions. Yeah, all things, I want that. I know there's some City fans who still say it's about the domestic honours, but I desperately, desperately want to see City win the Champions League. And that would be, if somebody said to me, you can have one trophy this season, that would be the one I would have. But, but, and it is a big but, you can't just choose it. You know, you, it, it, it's a cup competition, the Champions League. You know, things happen that you can't possibly predict. Everybody's assuming that Leipzig is just a, a gimme game, just as Southampton looked after beating Liverpool and Chelsea in the earlier rounds of this competition. And it ain't as easy as that, is it? No, it isn't. Um, going back to the Southampton game, like for me, um, and Pep usually does this, to be fair to him, in any competition, he usually plays, you know, a really strong side. But he did, as you rightly say, he made eight changes um, today from the Southampton game. Now, he doesn't usually do that for the uh, Carabao Cup. So he's obviously got something in the back of his mind. Um, he would also argue, I would say, about the Southampton game, that that team that we put out, you know, it'd, it'd finish high up the Premier League. If that was a... Um, team out on it on its own, a separate team from Manchester City, you would expect that team that he played on against Southampton to finish certainly top 10. You know, so it wasn't a, a bad side. He wasn't playing the youth team. He wasn't playing second stringers. It was still a lot of internationals or, or young internationals as well. Um, so for him to make that amount of changes, he's, he's got other things or other competitions on his mind now, whether or not we agree with what he's doing or what or the uh, decisions that he's making, that's a that's a different argument. Um, I, I I just feel that okay, we didn't play well at Southampton. That was that, you know that was that was obvious. It's probably one of the worst performances uh, from one of Pep's teams, uh, certainly in the uh, City colour. So that it was really disappointing. And then to follow that on with today. Um, even though I thought we were the better side, it doesn't look good. But I don't think that though Pep will be getting down about it. He'll be looking to the next few games. Um, I, I suspect he'll give them 
I don't know how he does it, but one of the, you know, a bollocking, or he'll certainly let the lads know that he isn't happy with what's going on because he hates losing. Those players hate losing as well. You know, they're all they're all winners. They're all well, the majority of them internationals. They've won trophies. They'll have come off. They'll they'll have been gutted. Those players, especially at Old Trafford, to uh, to lose in the way that they did. But they will know this week in training, um, and Pep will will be telling them, you know, we need to change this. And I've I've every confidence in in the team and Pep to go and do that. And I see us going on a bit of a a, a bit of a run now and trying to put that behind us because it's a long long time since I think we've lost two games on the trot. I'll park the Harland conundrum just for a few minutes. Let me bring in Tony. But obviously, you can all talk about it. And if you want to chip in, just fire away. But the other thing that was particularly noticeable this week were some quotes by Ilkay Gundogan when he suggested that things weren't quite right. Now, I'm not. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not saying exactly what he said. I was at the press conference ahead of the derby match when Pep was asked about that and he evaded the question. Um, you know, he didn't directly comment on what uh, Gundogan had said. Gundogan's a senior player who personally I would have had starting at Old Trafford and actually thought was probably City's least worst player down at Southampton, if you want to describe it that way. Um, I think he's a very experienced player, so I was a bit surprised and disappointed that he didn't play at Old Trafford. Um, but his comments um, uh, you know, provoked a lot of discussion among fans and journalists as well. Is there something missing this season? Is there something not quite right, Tony, that you've seen? Or was that a, just a knee-jerk reaction to a defeat after the Southampton game? And I think, I think as, as, uh, as Ian would say, that any player who's not involved in the first 11 will always have a bit of a, uh, you know, a grump about the fact that, he, that he's not playing. Um, yeah, but he said that after he played at Southampton. Yeah, but he's not he's not been in there regular as as he was before for whatever reason because of tactically the way that we play. Um, I, I think the one player that I have noticed with that uh, is Bernardo, um, and I thought um, if anything, there seems something different with uh, Bernardo's persona. He just doesn't seem the same player now. Whether he knows that that obviously he's he's going at the end of the season or even even that he actually might even go in January. But I don't know what it, what it is regards to that. And it only uh, probably takes, uh, you know, one or two bad eggs to, you know, to, to, to cause a problem in that. Um, I actually think that Kyle Walker at one point as well wasn't happy. Um, that seems to have sort of turned around a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's normal for players for not to be, not to be happy or or whatever when, when like I say they're not involved week in week out and I think there are certain players um I know, I know we're not obviously not want to go on about Haaland as such but I think there are certain players that that need to play every game uh because there is something missing from their performance when either they're brought on or they miss a game come back a game and I think Haaland has been one of those players uh, along with KDB as well I think there are times when KDB looked like he was dominating in games as he did against United in the home game and against Chelsea, etc. And then he doesn't play uh, in the next game. He then comes on a half time and, and so on and so on. And I just think that sometimes stops a rhythm uh, with certain players. And I could see that that sort of thing can be frustrating. And I think you can see that in the players' faces. Well, I know a lot of City fans have said that 
there needs to be more stability at the back and there's been a lot of changes of personnel at the back you know it's Stones and Laporte one game and then it's I know Diaz is injured at the moment but it might be Diaz and Akanji and then suddenly it's Ake playing in there and and as particularly back four it feels as if knowing who's alongside you and what their strengths and weaknesses are it is actually in a way even more important than the midfielders you know because naturally midfielders are often a little bit more mobile certainly in a Pep Guardiola team but let, let's ask Ian I mean you know you may not have been in this exact position but you'd like to think looking from the outside as either a journalist or a spectator that a player who might be going at the end of the season doesn't give any less than they would normally give now I'm a big fan of Bernardo Silva huge fan I think he's he might even be City's best player in my opinion I thought today in the derby match he wasn't at his best he gave the ball away several times and I thought what's up with him so I, I understand why Tony's thrown that into the mix but I'm trying to tell myself all the time Bernardo is not that player he will not, even if he knows he's going at the end of the season I don't personally believe that he would give less than 100 percent but you're a, you're a former player. You've been on the pitch with players who perhaps know they're going to go or want away. Does it does it affect them? Uh, yeah, and it's different personalities. Um, and I wouldn't put Bernardo, like you've just said, in, in that position. I think that if he 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 um, he knew he was going at the end of the season, I still think he'd give hundred um, percent. But I also agree with what Tony had said there as well, and and you said. You know, he's a, he's a top player. He didn't play well today. He really, something wasn't right with him. Again, we don't know what that is, but I don't think that it was just throwing one in because, because he knows he's going at the end of the season. It's, um, it, yeah, it's a, it, 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 it's a tricky one. And again, what you said, Tony, another great point was there's players that need to be playing week in, week out. Um, I know I, from a personal point of view, I know when I was playing, um, and we didn't have as big a squads back in back in the olden days, but it was I, I always want to be playing um, because I knew that if I had a, you know a few games out, whether it was injury or suspension and that, or you um, didn't tend to rest players so much then. Um, but if they did say, well, you're going to rest tonight, or you're going to come on as as a sub, it, it's difficult. And there's a lot of play, and I I would come into that category where I you know I'd want to be playing all the time. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel match fit, I wouldn't feel sharp and if I'd been playing well the previous week um, you want to carry on and say Kevin De Bruyne he's he certainly one of those types of player and you want to play uh, players especially when in, they're in form um, they don't get as tired as you know they say the rest of them I, I don't believe that if you're in form that you want to rest unless you've got a, a, a knock or something but you do need that those type of players that if they are able to play week in, week out, play them. And then on the on the flip side of it, you've got the other guys who are impact players. Um, I think for City, I think Jack Grealish is one of them. I actually think Mares is a, an impact player. You'd be better off bringing him off the bench um, rather than, than starting him, even though he's a fantastic player. I just think he's a, a more, more of an impact player. Uh, if you going into today's game, I, th I thought United. We talked about it earlier. They had a game plan. They wanted to stop City from playing. Um, but I, I do. Well, I know 
that if if a player is in, in form, you need to play him, especially the the Bruiners of this world. Going to your point, cheesy on on a back a stable back four, definitely. You know, it's a massive part of your team or any successful team. They've generally got the the back four or back three or the defensive players. They tend to be the ones that are um, stable. They're playing week in, week out, and they have partnerships. You know, whether it's the two centre halves or the or, or the full back and the and the, and the centre half either side, you know exactly what each player is doing, and that is so important within a in a team. You could argue that City are a little bit different in that, you know, we, those players. They'll end up, you know, you could have a, a, a central defensive player all of a sudden will be playing in central midfield. Um, and they don't need that type of, uh, those type of partnerships. But I think if you look at our most successful periods, or any team for that matter that's been successful, generally their back four is, or their defensive unit has been pretty stable. Colby? To be honest, when I saw the um, when I saw the lineup today um, in the defensive side, I was actually very happy. Um, I think that back four is the strongest we've got at the moment. Um, Akanji and Ak, I mean, Akanji's coming. I mean, we we've seen how hard it is for players to come in and and hit the ground running with City and this team and the way we play, and he's done that so well. And I'd argue that Ake, the the only other centre back I'd argue has been better than either of those two is potentially stones but 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 those two have been amazing this season um together as well um that surprises me and again i'm not trying to mean to interrupt you keep going in a minute but ruben diaz and americ laporte at one point were almost seen as since his first choice center back weren't uh, they well this is what i was this is what i was coming on to was <clears throat> i think um i'm not i'm i'm not panicking just yet i mean just just going back to what 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 um what tony was saying as well i'm not, i'm not panicking just yet in terms of uh, you know I think we we potentially have a bit of a lack of leadership in there at times. And Ruben provided that. You know, we look back at the season, we got to the Champions League final, won the league. Ruben was that, that he I mean, you know, the, the point of playing every single game, he played every single game pretty much at centre-back. And he was the leader. You could see he was the, the big, I'm trying to think of the word, um, he was the big and he was the leader among those among those players. You know, when we saw in the PSG game when every single time they made any sort of block, they were going around like 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 they'd scored a goal. And I almost think we lack a big bit of that. But saying that, um, I, I do think that back four this season has been that that is arguably our, our best back four. Um, Walker, I mean Walker was just amazing today. Uh, multiple times he he made crucial tackles and and interceptions and blocks and the same goes for Cancelo. Cancelo, I've had my criticisms for Cancelo over the last few weeks, but he was I said before the game we've got to start him because he's the kind of player that will turn up in this game and he did. I I, I personally think he did today. Rodri, amazing. Um, I, I I don't think ever since the World Cup I don't think been De Bruyne has been at it. I don't think he's been a hundred percent for whatever reason. Um, whether that's the the, the a lack of confidence from from um, from 
how his Belgium, how his national team performed and how he performed, I don't know, but I don't think he's been 100%. Um, and then we go to the whole opening of another can of worms with the whole Haaland debate where we go, well, actually, you know, we have we, we have the side where he's scoring, what, 21 goals in the league he scored and he's on 27, 28 for the season, I think he is, um, which is incredible. But actually, you look at a game like Chelsea in the Cup and we without him playing, we were able to play that style of football we've played over the last two years, which has brought us so much success. So it's it's a really difficult one to judge. But but what I would say 100 percent is is we can't I do agree. We can't constantly change. I, I agree with Ian here. I, I, we can't constantly change that. We can't constantly we can rotate. We can we can adapt to different teams and rest players at times. But I, I think resting them every single game is wrong and we need players to get on a run of form because that's how that's how uh, that's how players get on a run and, and go and score loads of goals you mentioned harland before you just mentioned harland uh last week on the podcast we had jim whitley on and uh and he was we obviously talked about harland with him as well and he it can't be avoided this and again you've perfectly he brought us into this toby by pointing out that the absence of harland um, arguably made City more creative. Um, there's no doubt that, you know, uh, you know, Ian's has already said Haaland scored more than Everton, you know. Um, so, so during the last two or three years, we've been crying out for our club and our players to get individual honours, to be the top goal scorer, to, to be the player of the year and all the rest of it. And yet in the background, I'm thinking, I'm not bothered about that. Our team, City, is all about the team. It's not about an individual star. It's not about relying on one thing. It's about having loads of variety in the way they play. So whilst I understood why people wanted Erling Haaland, and I'm not here. I'm not here now having a conversation saying I don't want him or I don't like him or anything like that. But the little cons the concern I had was I didn't want to be a team that had a focal point. I wanted to have a team that didn't have a focal point. And what I've said before is that against certain teams, the weaker teams, De Bruyne can find Haaland and he can score three goals a game like he has done in some of them. But as the season goes along in the big games, I feel as if that, you know, Ian mentioned before, Fred was man-marking Kevin De Bruyne. It felt like Varane was practically man-marking um, Haaland at times. And as soon as you take out that axis, that, that, that one particular point of attack, whilst it doesn't negate everything City does, it limits City far more than it would have done in the days when we had Jesus, Sterling, Zinchenko, you know, and, and lots of other players who posed a threat. And if one or two of them weren't working, Sterling was misfiring. If Bernardo was misfiring, there were others to bring on. And having lost at Southampton and seen the second string not function as strongly as we would have liked it to have done, it feels to me as if we've lost a little strength in depth and a little variety in what we do, and we've become a little bit too reliant on Haaland. Now, it might be that in the next game against Spurs, if Spurs have an off day, Haaland gets a hat-trick, and people go, what are you talking about? So you've got to look at the bigger picture, not just one match to make this judgment. But that's 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 the way I look at it. Um, what do you think, Ian? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's his first season in. Uh, you know, he's clearly a top player, but 
you wouldn't, um, you know, you look, look at the number of touches he has during the game. I'm not talking about goal scoring touches. He has very few. So you can argue like you have then. He's, he's more of a focal point. He's probably an out and out goal scorer. But I just think that we've we've got enough to to deal with that. You know, we've got other players on the pitch that can can score goals. Um, and I think Pep is still learning and um, trying to think of ways, the best way to to use him. I mean, none of us can argue his goal-scoring record. I mean, it's incredible. It, it, it really is. Um, you know, we're, we're second in the league. Um, we're still in the FA Cup. We're still in the Champions League. OK, we got knocked out in the Caribou Cup. So we, we shouldn't really be... Um, I don't think we should be questioning Pep or... Or Harland, which I don't think you are cheesy, by the way. You know, I know you're putting your points across. I just think that it, it it will take a little bit more time for Pep to work out exactly. I think for this season, what is his best team? Um, I think Harland is Harland, so he ain't going to change much about his game. He's not going to, you know, turn into a um, Kevin De Bruyne or a, or, or a Sergio. You know, because he, he, totally different players. So I think Pep at the moment is working out the best team to play in and around um, Haaland up front or the best way to, to get as many goals, not just from, from Haaland, but from the other players around him as well. And trying to isolate him and make him the focal point because, you know, he he can be suppressed. If you, you, I mean, you need to put two or three players around him, but the, that if, he, if, he put, if teams put two or three players around him, you should have two, three or spare players available. And we've got world-class players and world-class players that have, uh, uh, can score goals. So I'm I'm not panicking about the, the, the system and the way we play. I just think Peps needs a little bit more time to work out is the, the best way and to play in and around Haaland without, and this is a, a big point, without having as the focal point and the main man because that can easily be stopped he still needs other avenues to to get goals and to um, create pressure and to, to to create chances and other players will score goals and uh, yeah so that that's my feelings on it anyway Tony I think when we talked about the, uh, uh, the second I think one of the uh, hang on hang on Tony oh, let's just uh, let's get um Oh, Ian's, Ian's muted himself because his dog was yapping away in the background. Thought that was you, Tony, yapping no, away then. No, no. <laughs> Go on. Sorry, sorry lads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what I was going to say, um, the big difference, I think, this year has been that um, Pepe's trying to, and I think Ian alluded to it, Pepe's trying to um, get his players to play differently in some case, and I think that's taken a little bit longer uh, than probably he thought it would do with the type of players that we've got. We've got very, very intelligent players. And you would think that, you know, when you work it in training and that, that you can actually play differently. I mean, a, a prime example today was probably the first half. I thought defensively, we played a little bit further back. Uh, we weren't as high up. And even though at times when United did press today and the ball went, um, sort of through the lines or, or over the top, we had cover. Um, in the second half, we seem to play slightly different. And that's something that I think that the players need to get used to. And I think that's a frustration. Sometimes you can see that the players that we've got 
kind of want to be let you know take the leashes off them in some ways and go out and express themselves and i feel that in some cases the players are not allowed to do that so i think that's been one fundamental change for me we talk about this this big plan because at the end of the day a lot of teams now accept that city are going to dominate they accept that city are going to try and play through the lines they accept accept city are going to play uh, a little bit higher now, I thought United caught us a few times today on that basis of the fact that we played too high and we didn't naturally have the cover um, as we did in the first half where I think Toby alluded to where Kyle Walker was there as a, as a covering player. He seemed to play a little bit further forward in the second half. So I think that's one of the big problems for me is just the way that he's asking players to play um, and that seems to take a little bit um, for players to get used to. Haaland is used to Obviously, the ball going wide as a natural winger like Sancho, as he was being fed in Dortmund, to come across. We're actually crossing from different positions. And I think that means that the centre forward then needs to take up different positions. And I think sometimes that's where we struggle. The other thing that I would say as well is that when you have got a focal point, as against Southampton in the second half we did and we're losing, why didn't we utilise his game by playing a slightly longer ball as opposed to try to play through and, 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 you know, get to the final touches as such. That surprised me a little bit. And I really don't understand that. That could have been again today is isolate one of their defenders and ensure that we get the ball over the top. And we just don't seem to play like that. That in some way frustrates me. Well, great contributions as ever from Toby and Tony. I'll leave the last word in a moment to, to Ian um, as we look ahead to the, the final game. Uh, another shout out to Howard solicitors who support me and support this podcast. So thanks very much to them. They're based in Stockport, Ashton and Cheshire. Um, they also do family law. So if you're going through a separation or having problems with access to your children or with social services, give them a call. 161 872 double nine double nine or look at the website or just email them law at howardsolicitors.com i don't personally think that um city played badly at all today i actually thought they were the better team and we've talked about the controversy of the equalizing goal and i was genuinely encouraged by that performance it sounds a bizarre thing to say when you've just seen your team lose at old trafford and you come home as a blue gutted and disappointed as I am but I actually was very encouraged by that performance and the 1-0 win at Chelsea um, as well away uh, when the chips were down City produced a result and with a little bit more good fortune today I think they have got a good result at Old Trafford as well. Southampton issue is a different issue so I'm actually in quite a good place so that might not be how you feel but you know share your views um ian let's leave the last word on this podcast to you city play tottenham who've been a bogey team next at uh, the etihad on thursday there is a game in between but then they play tottenham again as the next away game um are you optimistic like me or are you are you worried going into this what's your views of the tottenham game to begin with yeah i, I said earlier i, I think pep will he'll, he'll say that the um certainly to the players that they've, they've done well today i agree with you and, and tony and toby as well we've we've put a decent shift in today and especially that uh you know the first well first half hour of the second half is only the last 15 uh, minutes where 
United got on top or they got the goal and they ended up getting on top. Up until then, I felt comfortable that we were going to win the game. So I'm, I'm not happy that we lost, but um, we've been robbed, as the saying goes. Uh, so Pep will be going on to next game. We've got some tough games coming up. Like I said, we've got Tottenham on Thursday, Wolves. Then we've got Arsenal a couple of times in the Cup and uh, we've got them coming up in the league not so long. Uh, Tottenham again. Um, Villa at home. You know, we've got some big games coming up, but I'm confident that Pep will turn them around. Uh, the, the players understand what's required of them. That, that They know what we as fans feel about it as well. Uh, they'll know we, we're expecting them to win. Um, I mean, it's a great feeling to have going into games and talking about that we're going to win week in, week out. But I really believe that we can do that. And I think Thursday, I think he'll change the side. Don't know what side he'll, he'll, he'll put out, but I do, I do think he will change it. I suspect he might put Gundogan back in the side um, and, and work around that. Don't know, but either way, he'll be looking to win the game and getting back into training whenever they go back training and um, saying to him, listen, we've got four or five big games coming up. We need maximum points. And then all of a sudden, if you win those games, you're back in the mix. You're back in the mix in the league. You're back in the mix. Um, hopefully we'll win the FA Cup tie against Arsenal. And all of a sudden we've uh, got Leipzig. Um in the Champions League, that won't be easy, as you said earlier, cheesy. Uh, but I believe that this year we will. I honestly think we'll win the Champions League uh, this this season. I hope we we win other trophies as well. Um, my my preference is, to be honest, to win the Premier League because I think that's the, the hardest competition to win of all of them because you've got thirty eight games to win. Um, but I do believe that we need the the Champions League to put on the on the CV, and Pep definitely wants that. So I'm I'm confident going into the, the next few weeks, and I'm confident for the rest of the season. Well, as always, it's been a joy to have you on the podcast, Ian, and I really appreciate you giving up your time, uh, especially on a Saturday evening when there's plenty of things to command your attention. Hopefully, we'll get you back on again in a few weeks. Uh, thanks very much to Toby and to Tony and to everybody for listening. And, uh, you know, don't let it get you down. And I know it's gutting when you lose a derby and nobody feels more gutted than me, especially because today, if you watch the vlog, you'll see I went on the tram from the Etihad to uh, to the Old Trafford venue in Stretford. So uh, even though it's, it's not quite in Manchester and coming back with a lot of United fans on the tram wasn't pleasant. Um, but, you know, we beat them 6-3 at our place, didn't we? And we're still above them at the moment. So we can take that as a consolation. So thanks again to Toby, to Tony, to Ian and to you for listening. And, uh, and it, on the darkest of the days, win, lose or draw, remember this one thing, if you only remember this, it is always great to be a blue.